Hello and welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast with me, your host, Ben Granis. I am so pleased that you chose to spend your time with me today on the Eyes Up Life podcast. Eyes Up started as a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States that I did solo to raise awareness for distracted driving. Along the way, I met hundreds of people and became really committed to this mission to end distracted driving and also to help people have healthy relationships to their phone because I've seen and experienced firsthand how harmful it can be to become addicted to our phones while we're in the car and also while we're out of the car. And life, I've found, is a lot more rich when we're not so committed to our phones and so attached to them as we are, uh, as so many of us are. Shortly after completing the ride, I set out on a road trip to interview 21 athletes who are sponsored by Maxxis Tires and interviewed them, created this video series in partnership with Maxxis, and I'm also putting out the full conversation in the format of the Eyes Up Life podcast. So if you haven't if you haven't caught the rest of the series, make sure you check that out. Subscribe to this podcast, follow Eyes Up Ride on Instagram, and also subscribe to Maxis Tires on YouTube so you don't miss any of the future episodes. Today we're speaking with Lawrence Lou Lewis. He goes by Lou. He's a great guy, a father of one son, and I met him in his garage in sunny California. Sort of painting the picture, he had memorabilia from his early work with Jeremy McGrath, and I don't want to spoil too much of the conversation, but he worked hand-in-hand with the greatest supercross racer of all time, Jeremy McGrath, and helped capture some of his early moments in his career while he was riding and created a lot of films and his own film company. And Lou's perspective is really quite interesting because it spans such a long period of time. He's seen the transition from film to digital to totally cloud-based filming as well as the introduction of cell phones to smartphones to where we are today and I know you'll appreciate his perspective and his thoughts on the whole process especially since he has a son who also has a phone now so sit back relax and enjoy my conversation with Lawrence Lou Lewis and We'll talk to you at the end. Thank you. Uh, my name is Lawrence Lewis. I live in Canyon Lake, California. Sweet. And what? Uh, what? Why am I talking to you? Like, why, what's your connection to Maxis in this whole world? <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been uh, I've been an athlete. I've been a team manager, um, athlete manager. I've been race organizer. I mean, since I was a little kid, I've been very interested in competition and racing, um, whether it was on bicycles, motorcycles, off-road cars, whatever it is, it's always had wheels and it's, uh, it's always been a big part of my life. And so tell me about your, your early life growing up and what that looked like. Uh, I grew up in the mountains up in Big Bear, California, and it was a recreational community. And I mean, as long as I can remember, I have been on a bicycle or hiking or skiing, 
snowboarding, fishing. So um, I've always lived an outdoors adventure lifestyle, whether it's been uh, since, you know, first car I had was was a Toyota truck and it was the reason I got it was so we could go camping and off-roading. Um, so I've always been very active uh, on a motorcycle, trucks, desert, you know, just taking advantage of outdoor life. What's your, what's your favorite part about being outside? I guess that's just where I feel most comfortable. Um, you know, put me in the middle of a city, subways, I start to panic on that one. I'm, that's not where I feel good. Right. Uh, my, ha- <laughs> my happy spot would be remote in the mountains. You can't hear anything. You're with, you know, with yourself and hopefully, you know, a few friends and you're on motorcycles and you're, you're taking on a few hundred miles a day. Um, that's where I feel more, most comfortable. So we were chatting. It sounds like you made some really good friends in the motorcycle, dirt bike world. Can you tell me about some of those people who you worked with? Yeah. Um, well, it's, you know, I mean, obviously the most famous person that I've worked with is Jeremy McGrath. He's, uh, you know, become one of the most recognized motorcycle riders in the world. Um, it was just a chance meeting, really, when I uh, had to move from Big Bear, which there was no college or no education past high school up there. I graduated. I moved down to a town called Temecula, California, and ended up, you know, running into Jeremy. Um, we were, you know, about the same age. Uh, I was formerly a professional ski racer in the snow, and he was, you know, just starting his, you know, professional career on a motorcycle. Um, so, you know, we kind of hit it off right away as both having a competitive side. And I think that's, you know, what generated our, our friendship right away was if we were playing golf, if we were riding bicycles, I mean, bowling, whatever it might be, it sounds funny, but, uh, I think that just when you grow up like that and you're with someone like that, it helps elevate your game. So, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ever intending to be a professional motorcycle rider, but, uh, it was you know, it was great to have someone that had that competitive edge and, you know, um, it led me down a path again where I didn't know I was going to go, you know, into racing every weekend um, and to finally, you know, being into a, a movie business where he and I had a business called Clutch Films and we started making motocross movies in the desert. Um, and again, I was right at home. Like, that's that's where I like to be, like out in the middle of nowhere filming and capturing what I've done my whole life. So, um, I mean, that's, that's probably, you know, in a nutshell, like the, the way that I think, you know, he and I really, you know, became friends and it helped both of our careers really. Um, you know, we, you take away the seriousness of the weekend by going out in the mountains and going out in the hills and riding. So it's like, it's a nice balance. I think a lot of people even now kind of miss that. Like you need to have a balance. It's not just, on the track training all the time you need to get away recharge your batteries like get out in uh you know places like glamis or you know the desert how long in your career did this did the film making with jeremy span and what happened when that's sort of last forever you know what what transitioned what did it transition it did it's still lasting (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding uh we um you know it was funny like Again, we didn't know we were going to make movies. It just, we were out, you know, riding, and I got injured, um, but I was still, I didn't care. I still wanted to go on the trip, so I had a camera. I started filming, and we got the idea, like, hey, I think people would like to see this, you know, out in the open, hitting these jumps. Like, we're just doing this stuff for, for ourselves, but I'm sure people would be pretty interested that we're hitting 100-foot jumps and, 
you know, doing tricks for each other. feet? Yeah, like no problem. Bigger in the sand dunes. And you're only doing it for a group of seven, eight friends. Like looking back on it now, thinking of, you know, you know what could have happened. Like we never looked at that side of the coin. It was like, let's hit this jump. Let's have a good time. We're going to, you know, it's an adrenaline rush. Like we're in the middle of nowhere so many times. Like if someone really did get hurt, like we would have, we would have probably been in a pinch. But um, anyway, so we, we made our first film just kind of by accident and it, it, you know, it's called Steel Roots and it blew up. Like the industry loved it. Everybody was, you know, taken back. Like this is the, these supercross guys that are in the stadiums are out, you know, riding in the hills, hitting jumps way bigger, way bigger than they are on a supercross track. And they're just doing it for, for fun, not even for no pay, um, which, you know, I thought was cool. I thought it was interesting. Everyone did. So with that, boom, we have a company called Clutch Films and we're making movies. So um, it's funny that we, we're talking about it now. It's been 25 years since that first release of that first movie. Wow. And, uh, you know, we're going back and looking at some of that footage. And, of course, we're thinking, man, we're just kids, which we were. The, the thing about it, though, is, I mean, we still like the same things. Like, I don't know how many people can say, hey, what I was doing 25 years ago, I still have just as much passion about today. And uh, I'm still racing on the weekends. Jeremy's still racing on the weekends. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's a lifestyle. That's, that's what it is. And I think that's why we named our movie series Steel Roots. It was like, hey, we, our background comes into play with like bicycles, motorcycles, like something that like always has to do with like the steels, wheels, and that's our roots. So, and it still is. So what, like when you were making these films, what were, uh, what, like what were, what were some of the, the things that really captured your attention and what was, like what was exciting about making those movies? Uh, I think the, you know, the best part about making the films and the part that you know, was a little bit different than, than what most people saw is we would, the fil filming started where we, you know, we were out in the hills riding, we we're hitting big jumps. Um, so we, we had no film experience. We were always, you know, me and Jeremy and a bunch of our friends, we were always in the hills riding, hitting, hitting big jumps, um, just to kind of push each other a little bit. We kept talking about filming it and saying, man, some people would love to see this. None of us had any experience filming. We probably wasted you know, a few of our best years, like out in the hills, hitting jumps and riding without any documentation of it. It wasn't until um, we really got serious about like making a film and said, all right, we're going to go to Glamis Sand Dunes. We're going to bring some guys that, that do know how to make movies and they're going to, you know, capture this for us the first day. Well, I got a little excited day one and came out, came out of the box and hit a huge sand dune jump, over jumped it broke my hand, broke my ankles, uh, just completely wadded it up. And nobody got it on tape. Nobody got it on film. Like, we were there to make a movie, and I was expected to, uh, in my, I guess I was expecting myself to, to step it up, and this was my big chance. Like, I wasn't a professional rider, but I could hit jumps and I could ride. So I was thinking, all right, I'm just going to show everybody what I'm made of. Huge mistake. I came out of the box, hit the huge jump, Nobody got it on tape, and uh, you know there I was in the hospital for you know a, a, a good few weeks recovering. What what sort of injuries did you? So have? I broke my hand 
in like multiple places where the bones, you know, came out. I broke both my ankles. Um, I like, I had strained my back. I tore my ACL. Like it was a, it was a disaster. But, um, you know, if anything good came out of that, first off, I was super pissed that nobody got it on tape. I'm like, we were there to film and I just did a, a jump that probably would still be running at the front of, you know, any crash and burn movie or on ESPN as, you know, the agony of defeat and no one got it. So it's funny to think like, I'm so bummed nobody got my huge crash, but that was one thing that got to me. Uh, I still wanted to go on the trips. I still wanted to go be a part of the production. Um, the only difference was now, I mean, I'm laid up, I'm on crutches. So I, I grab a camera and I start shooting, you know, video. The thing is, because of that crash though, I realized I am never going to miss another crash. Like if I'm gonna do this in film, like I, I'm gonna start applying what I know from riding, from being an athlete to making this film. Like I need to know where, you know, where the hazards are. And we had camera A and camera B filming, you know, the, the money shots as they would call it. But for some reason I was always in the spot because knowing what happened to me, like this is where things go wrong and they go wrong on your first attempt. So real quick, I realized, okay, I'm the guy that starts getting all the crashes. And the guys we're working with, they were from uh, the Krusty Demons, the Dirt movies. They're snowboarders. Um, they know how to make films, but they don't know, you know, like when a motocross guy crashes, he's done usually for the day or the week, maybe even a month. Like they, they see snowboarders crash and like, okay, let's go again and, and miss the jump or the, not miss the jump, but miss the crash. So anyways, I just felt like, you know, at that point, I'm never going to miss that. They taught me, you know, there's multiple parts of getting these shots. So, you know, the, the other filmmakers that were there and I was the one that was coming in with all the A-plus shots and they just so happened to be either a close call or a crash shot, which is what everybody wants to see in the movie. Like, that's it. <laughs> uh, you know, with Jeremy, that doesn't happen very often. So, you know, if he crashes, you better get it. And I think there's maybe one, one crash or two crashes in the, the first movie we made. And they're both shots that for sure I got because I like vowed to myself, never miss a crash. So, so you, your first movie was 25 years ago, which was well before social media and that's like sort of the online promotion piece of things. How did you gain traction with your productions? Um, well, uh, this was, this was early nineties. We're making the films. Um, and you know, typically going through the process of making a film and trying to release it in a theater was was going to be very difficult. We had no idea how that was going to work. Um, and if we knew, you know, if we knew anything about it, we probably would have never started, but we just went for it anyways. We're like, we're going to do it. Um, and luckily enough, you know, Jeremy was sponsored by Fox Clothing. The guys at Fox were really, really cool. They were very interested in making movies themselves. Um, and they had a massive distribution network for clothing. So they got really smart and creative and just started marketing our movies to motorcycle shops, which was brilliant because then it drove people to the shops to buy the film. And then in turn, you're buying your gear. Shops loved it. Every shop had a TV that was looping our movies constantly. Um, you know, 25 years later, you know, I will still run into people that say, hey, that was your movie, Steel Roots. Like, you don't have no idea how many times I watched that. I worked the front counter at the Yamaha shop 
and that thing would loop for three years. So I know every word, like we would wear the VH tapes out. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a, I mean, it was an interesting uh, method. It worked. Um, it became the standard, like every year we started releasing a movie. Like we'd film all year, have a movie out before Christmas. Every, and then lots of guys started doing it. Lots of other writers, um, teams, Moto Triple X, um, they would use those movies to finance their racing, finance their team. And I mean, it was a great time. We, you know, we were, we were loving watching other people's films too. Everyone had kind of their own little twist on it. A lot of, um, a lot of guys trying to make a name for themselves. We, we really tried to focus on traveling to unique locations, you know, having the best riders and, you know, doing something that was a little bit different than on the supercross track or what people were used to seeing in stadiums. So it was a, you know, and, and then putting, you know, a soundtrack to it that seemed relevant at the time. So we always would put in some, you know, really hard music, some metal, um, and try to adapt the song to the location and, you know, also pick what we liked. And, uh, it was a good recipe. It worked. So how many, how many years were you doing this sort of like full time, the movie production? Uh, I would say we, um, we, we probably had a solid 10 years of, of making something every year. Um, even when Jeremy kind of stopped, you know, writing fully in the movies, we had a company called Clutch Films, and then it would produce some other writers. So we produced a film with all the Thor writers one time. So we got to work with, you know, Chad and Grad, Chad Reed and Grant Langston um, and uh, Pastrana. Like we'd work for you know, the brand, at that time it was Thor, so we would make a film for them. Uh, then we did another one that was just purely in the sand, and we just did sand dunes. So we started putting some sand cars into it and just mixing it up a little bit. Um, and then we even did, you know, some that were just about mini bikes. So every year we would try to just gravitate to what was fun, what we were doing, and hoped people liked it. And uh, luckily, you know, everyone seemed to to like what we were doing and it became, you know, the next the next thing on the list. Check, we did that movie. Now what are we going to do? Now where are we going to go? So now we're going to go to Australia or now we're going to go to Brazil. So it was it was cool. It was like planning our vacations and bringing our dirt bikes with your cameras. with your friends. What yeah. what's better than that? Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um and so yeah, so I, I think it's going to be tough to get to every bit and also get to the <laughs> distracted driving piece but i do want to hear about um yeah let's get athlete <laughs> management uh like what what what's that like because you that's that was more recent right correct so um with the birth of youtube was the demise of home video which is what all this was so i don't know it was it was probably you know right around i'm guessing 2000 2008, 10, somewhere around there maybe, that um, we start, we release a movie and within a week it's on YouTube and no one's buying the movie. So that was when um, we had to, you know, kind of pivot and, or I had to pivot basically and do something else. Um, Jeremy was winding down his Supercross career and, you know, he'd, he'd done everything. He checked off all the boxes he needed to do there. Um, but I had been working with, you know, dozens of athletes this whole time whether we're traveling together, um, we're still doing, we're still doing contracts or I'm doing contracts for all the music, doing contracts for the writers. We're figuring out, you know, you know, what kind of royalties are going to bands. So 
in the process of movie making, I'm also learning how to uh, figure out the legal side, manage athletes, manage bands, have premieres. So uh, naturally, I just, I, I, my friends, some of the other guys that I'd been working with had asked me you know, to help them out with their careers. Um, freestyle motocross was getting really big at that time. So I was able to work with you know, some of the very you know, pioneers of freestyle motocross, started putting on some uh, freestyle events and helping some of the riders. I mean, I worked with, with Deegan, I worked with, again, Travis during that time, Mike Jones, Mike Sinkmeyer's, like a lot of the original you know, guys that were involved in freestyle, I was also working with, helping them with their launching their freestyle careers and their you know, motocross careers. Cool. Does so, that sound about right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Does that well, sound like bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you can tell me anything. I believe it. So. Uh, uh, that's the beauty of not knowing much about this world. You know. <laughs> um, so you've you've spent you've seen uh, the industry through a, diff a lot of different phases of media and production. So I'd, I'm curious to hear what your experience has been with. Uh, the online side of things and like kind of adjusting into that, you know, with YouTube coming out yeah. and social media, Instagram, and wh where are you now with all of that as well? Okay, so um, I mean, looking back on all this, it, it has all been, it was all promotion. Like, even though we just thought we were having fun riding, every bit of it from day one, that's why Fox is distributing our videos, that's why people are getting paid to ride freestyle. That's why um, these contracts are coming in from manufacturers. All of, you know, all of what we were doing was promotion for, for athletes and for brands. It's the same as what's going on today. It's actually, with the birth of social media, I think it's, uh, it's exploded again. Content is never, has been more important as it is right now. Everyone's able to you know, go out and make their own content, which is exciting. You don't need a, you don't need a crew. Like if you're talented, and you live in you know rural Mississippi, you can go out and get some footage, post it online, and show what you're made of. I, I mean, I love it. I think it's uh, it's a great time for people to launch their own brands and to get the feedback like right away. It's, sometimes it's might be harsh. Sometimes you might you know it it starts trending, and all of a sudden you get you know jackpot. You you've made a brand. Um, so I'm I mean I like it. I I totally support what's going on. Um, you got to be careful. You know there's a there's a balance for sure. You can't just be completely locked in, but um, I think good ideas and exposure are uh, are you know great right now on social media and on that platform. Yeah, it's a super helpful tool, and yeah, anyone can jump in. Um, yeah. I, what's your what's your like daily usage of social media? Is it mostly for promoting your own work or do you find yourself on the side of consuming quite a bit? Um, I think, I mean, I think we're all guilty of, you know, you, you go on to look at what your friends are doing. Um, you know, you go on Instagram or you, you know, you check in to see like, you know, what people are posting and, and typically to see like where they're writing, like what, you know, what, you know, your friends are doing and if you're going to catch up with them or, Hey, we just saw a good riding spot. Like we should go to this track tomorrow. Um, or it just rained. So we, we all check in and I think follow each other in that respect. Um, 
And it's super, I mean, yes, is it easy to get distracted? And I mean, that's what the algorithms are for in social media. It pulls you another direction. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at a resort in Cancun that has nothing to do with, <laughs> with writing. But um, I, I still think that it's, it all goes back to balance. Like you just have to have like a, a platform of knowing, you know, you need to be outside. People need to be doing things with their family. You need to, you know, have face-to-face -face time. Um, and, uh, and sure, is there some time to promote yourself if you're building a brand? Absolutely. Is there, you know, a time to help, you know, educate, you know, even some younger athletes? I mean, at this time, if, uh, you know, I'm still managing some young drivers and you have to be, you have to be careful. You also have to be very aware of what you are doing because everything now is permanent. You post something, it's there forever. You, you need to, you know, more than ever have media training and make sure what you're putting out there is something that you want the world to know you for. Right. Absolutely. So you have, you're a parent of, do you just have one son? Yeah, I have a 14-year-old son. 14-year-old son. What's, um, does he have a cell phone? He does. What, when did he get his cell phone? How, how old is he? We, we waited. I know that sounds funny because uh, I... I got him a cell phone when he was in seventh grade, which seems like still too young, but... So he was probably 12 or something? Yeah. Yeah. The average uh, American child these days gets a cell phone between seven and eight years old. Right. Which I, I cannot agree it's with. five years younger, but 12 is still well, super young. Yeah. And, um, and they're also using... I mean, a cell phone is not a babysitting device and it shouldn't just be something that's used to, to keep your kids quiet. Um, it's a communication device. And I mean, I would love if he didn't have one at all, but really there's no way around it. Uh, he needs to, you know, if he's with his friends, I know where he's at. If he needs a ride home or something, uh, it, it gives him a little bit more freedom to, to, to be able to, uh, you know, I guess, Ride, ride around the community on his bicycle or, you know, be able to ask me like, Hey, can I do something dad without having to like m make that decision on the spot? You know, I think when we were kids, when I was a kid, um, you'd leave in the morning and come back at night and your parents never knew you were. I don't know if I could handle that right now in this day and age. I kind of want to know like what's going on and maybe we are a little bit more programmed and slaves to the device. But, um, I mean, we try to, uh, you know, we try to limit the screen time and we still, you know, are very involved with, with sports and, and time, you know, on bikes and away from the phone, but it's, um, it's a necessary tool. Is it an evil tool? Sometimes does it consume too much of your time? Probably. Um, but you know, again, just like I think, through my life, it's you have to adapt and you have to figure out what works for you, what doesn't, and and try to have that you know that balance there. So you, you mentioned that you you uh, are you married or you're, no? You're, yeah, I'm just a single dad. So right, I have my so, son full time. So you um, work to manage his screen time. What are some things that you do to to try to manage manage it or be help help him be aware of it? Well. Um, I mean, typically when he's in school, like it's the weirdest thing now, like, uh, up until he's in high school now. So up until now, it was like, when you're at school, you're, you're not using your phone at all. 
Like there's no screen time, it's locked. If he needs to call me, he can call me. Just simple, pay attention. Um, now they're incorporating your phone so heavily into following your grades, turning in your assignments, that again, I'm at another crossroads like trying to figure out where we go with this next. In, in his school, all the assignments are done on the phone, quizzes are done on the phone, and you turn in your assignments. They send back you know, constant emails, updates, everything is monitored through your phone. So again, we're at that, that part where, are, is it too much? I think it is. Um, I don't have an answer for it. I mean, right now, like, he's he's doing everything he's supposed to. He's spending his time wisely with soccer. He's, his grades are good. Um, you know, when he gets home, for sure, we'll we'll put the phone, you know, put it on the counter. We try to have you know our dinner time. We try to do something outside. Uh, you know, he has a responsibility to take his dog for a walk. There's certain things that do not need a phone, and that has to happen. I think no matter what, you have to pull that out of your pocket and even you know even myself like you you need to just set it aside and go do something and and uh not depend on it it's it's become um i mean it's become a part of everyone's life it's we're connected in a way and then we're disconnected in a way right yeah and it, it's interesting how like deeply ingrained it is in every aspect of life because like you didn't have a cell phone growing yeah. up so you could probably imagine a world where you're raising your son without a phone, but like realistically, how do you do that if you know you need your phone for turning in assignments or yeah. things like that? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So the, finding a solution is is tough, but like, where where do you see like what's the what's the next step in this like progression that we're on uh, in in needing technology for everything? Uh, I mean, it's, um, it's kind of a scary situation right now. It's a scary time. The, you know, the people making these apps and programs, they make them to keep you on your phone. Like, I think we're, we're being programmed more than ever right now to just constantly have a phone. And like you just said, there's a great time in my life. And, and my thought when I go on vacation, I try to pick places that there isn't service. Like we go to the dunes, we go to the desert, we go places. I'm happy to go there. There's no service. There's no talking back. There's no, that's it. It's perfect. And I think uh, kids that have been raised with a phone in their hand, you know, in our future are going to freak out. Like they're not going to, they're not going to know what it's like to not have a phone. Like it's like they're blanky. When I was a kid, like you, you have that separation anxiety. It's, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's troubling, but I think that the technology is it, like, it's going to, it, it's making it almost mandatory, like to, to function in, in society. You have to have a phone. I don't know anyone. Do you know anyone that doesn't have a cell phone? No, but I, I met <laughs> someone, uh, last month who has never had a smartphone. It's someone like my age. Yeah. Um, and they have a dumb phone, like a flip, just phone? A flip phone. Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating. I didn't get a chance to talk to them that much, but it was, uh, like that's a, that's such a unicorn, you know, yeah. someone like that. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear, uh, Lou, if you ever look at like the screen time on your phone, like, is that part of, because it seems like you're very aware of both you and your son's exposure to life outside of your phone, which I think is awesome. And everyone would benefit from having more of that. Yeah. But do you ever like, do you ever, is it like something where you're like aware of how much you're actually using your phone? 
Yeah, I, I, I totally know, and I've used it too much. And it depends, and it depends what's going on. If there's, um, if there's a like, I managed uh, off-road race teams, um, and if there's something that's like coming up on the schedule, or there's a change in the schedule, it goes out through your phone. You when when it's a race weekend, you'll look and go, what eight hours? Like nine hours? I was looking at my phone like the entire day. You're you're getting people wristbands to get in. You're checking lap times. You're you're you know facilitating sponsors. You're doing photos. You're doing social media. Like l literally, I'm at events and I'm not at the event. I'm on my phone and it's you know it's a major bummer. But that's the I don't know any other way at, at this you know juncture how to how to solve the problem. Everyone depends on it. And if there's something that comes up immediately, like you get an alert and hey, there's been a change in the schedule. So it's, um, again, it's one of those things like, is it, is it helping the race day move along? Probably. I don't have to run up to the ticket booth. I'm able to put people's names on lists. You're able to facilitate things, but, um, what I prefer, what I prefer to, you know, be old school and watch the race and see everybody face to face and shake their hand when I see them like, Oh, it's a long time. I haven't seen you it, rather than knowing every minute I'm at the gate. I'm almost there. I'm coming in. Ugh. Like I feel phones do that. Like they just add too much information to what's going on and everybody needs to do it. Like, Hey, you didn't check it. Why didn't you answer? Like, have you ever not like answered a message in 15 minutes or 20 minutes during an event, people start freaking out. Like you're looking at six messages, like why do I have six from you? It's only been 20 minutes. Can I take a shower? <laughs> can, I do, can you do something away? I was in a meeting, like it's weird. People yeah. start panicking. If you're, if you're someone that gets back to them always and then there's a delay, it, 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 people start freaking out and they start to have that panic. Um, and <clears throat> I mean, I know it's the same scenario and I know, you know, when you're driving, that's a big problem too. People cannot disconnect themselves. How are you going to drive six hours or drive somewhere in traffic and you're not, you're not constantly connected to your phone. I think that's everyone. I mean, you look over traffic, driving, everyone's talking, everyone's, I mean, I would say 90% of the time, if you're at a red light, someone has to honk to get the person from going because they've already stopped their ADDs kicked in for five seconds and they're scrolling and looking and then oh red light okay green light go it's crazy yeah so talk to me what like what you kind of just described it but what comes to mind when you think of distracted driving um I mean distracted driving when I you know I guess there's always been some sort of distraction I remember when I first started the distraction was your tape deck <laughs> about d dating myself here, but uh, the distraction, you know, when you're younger was, hey, are you changing your, your music out or is it too loud or something like, so there's always, I think, been some sort of, you need to be focused when you drive. And that's what your original, you know, driving instructor, your original classes are for, to, you know, like you're, you're driving a vehicle that's, you know, 4,000 pounds, can go hundred miles an hour, and you're with thousands of other people at the same time doing it. Like you need to be focused um, and, and be aware of what you're doing. You're, you're driving something that can cause other people harm. And a split second is all it takes to have an accident. Now today, 
distractions. Oh my God. I mean, I can't imagine like having this when I was taking my driving test growing up. Like you, now you look over and there's, there's kids in the backseat. They all have their phones going with, you know, TikTok videos blasting. You know, mom's on the phone. She's got 10 places to be. You got Starbucks coffee jamming through your veins with caffeine. <laughs> there's tons of traffic. I mean, it's right now, more than ever, you're dealing with so many distractions. Um, I mean, it's rare to, to not see some sort of little incident when you're on a drive nowadays. Something is a close call. Something is a little fender bender because of simple distractions. And it's not that people are bad drivers. There's just too much going on. Talk to me about your uh, relationship to distractions in the car when you're driving. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like there's, there's times where you jump in the car and even if you're just, you know, going, you know, grocery hopping and you got a, a short distance, um, and, uh, and you get a buzz on your phone, like you reach over, grab your phone, you, you know, now with hands-free, it's a lot easier, but when that wasn't there, you'd, you'd grab your phone, you'd pick it up or you'd be looking for it. And there's, I'm sure been times where all of us have, you know, been distracted, you look up and you realize you've crossed the line and you do a quick, you know, one of these back and you're like, oh, not thinking anything of it. But I mean, those are the times, can be a, a head-on collision, there can be someone running a red light, you could run a red light. There is just, uh, you know, th there's very little room for error and, and when the error happens, like someone's gonna pay the price. So you're, I think you're obviously very aware of the potential consequences to driving distracted. And I'm sure most people who are using their phone or doing something else while they're driving know that either that they shouldn't be or know that there's a potential deadly consequence of doing that. What do you think it is that draws us to ignore those potential consequences and continue to drive distracted? Well, because I mean, I think you, you still, allow your personal life to get in the car with you or your business life or whatever it is. Usually when you get in the car, like, you know, you're supposed to check your mirrors, you're kind of, you're supposed to put your seatbelt on, you're supposed to just do the, the standard things to get ready and drive. Now it's, you clip your phone in, you, you sync your car, like you're, you're making, that's part of now your driving program. So you're aware that you're, you're going to be talking, you're gonna be using your phone while you're driving. So you've already kind of allowed the distraction in the vehicle with you right off the bat. Um, you know, the hands-free was a, a, great, a great way to try to eliminate some of those problems. Um, but again, it's like driving around with a car full of rattlesnakes. There's things around you all the time that are happening with your phone, you know, with music, with other vehicles, um, and if you got a car full of kids, I mean, I don't know about you, but when my son's in the car and he's got friends in there, I really, I try to get them off their phone and start talking to them and get them some interaction between them. Like, hey, you know, uh, which one of you has a girlfriend now? Hey, did you guys see, you know, that, that uh, you know, new video on Monsters? page have you seen you know uh what's going on with your grades like try to get some communication going between them and have them put their phones down but typically i'll, I'll jump in another friend's car and everyone's listening to something and you're, you hear like five phones going on like it's i mean it's irritating 
<laughs> for sure, but it's major distractions. That's so interesting. I haven't, I hadn't really thought about other people in the car. I mean, obviously it's a distraction and it's something that they talked about in driver's ed and everything, yep. but like, I've been so kind of like keyed in on the phone as the, which is, it's obviously a, the biggest, one of the biggest distractions for the driver, but a lot of these young inexperienced drivers are going to be tooling around with their friends yes. and yeah, they'll be yelling at them, you know, and like, what's, that's a, that's a huge problem. It's like, a major what's, problem. What's the, how do we fix that? Well, and this is the, this is the thing that my son, again, had showed me, but same thing, we're in the car. And I don't always tell him to get off his phone when we're in the car, like if we're going somewhere close, but he'll say to me, oh, dad, look at this. I'm like, hey, do you see I'm driving? Uh, don't show me a video while I'm driving. Like, I'm, my eyes are here. Like, why would you want me to look over there to see something for 30 seconds or 10 seconds, whatever it is? And that's been, um, I mean, he doesn't do it now, but that was like a, a pretty heavy, like, lesson. Like, then if he, if he did that, okay, put your phone down for sure. Like you need to start being aware of where we're driving, what direction we're going, what street we're at. Like you need to start pretending like you're driving next to me. And we're at that point right now. Like where we're, when I'm driving, you need to start pretending like you're driving. You see this car up here, how he's kind of inching out a little bit. Like, do you think he's gonna go for it? Your eyes need to be on that as well as the light, as well as the crosswalk. Like there's a lot going on. And uh, I think again, like if your kid is 14, 15, about ready to get into that driver position, all these things need to, be lessons right now and when you have a friend that's like oh look at this and they're trying you know and his friends are in the car with him they're for sure gonna say that they're gonna say hey check out my phone oh did you see this so you were talking about hands-free i want to go back to that for a second um and that you were guilty you, you that you know we've all been guilty of distracted driving and so would you say that your distractions have gone down since the hands-free edition and are they still present uh, I'd say they, I say with hands free, it has helped and it's gone down a little bit. Um, you, you know, you can still keep your eye on the road. You don't have to, you know, be over flipping through your phone or making a call. You can just say call so and so. That works. Um, so that helps, but um, I think again, it's just you have to be, you have to be aware when you're getting in your car. Like if you were, if any of the drivers I have, let's say, if they're racing, nobody has their phone. Like if you're doing something like racing a dirt bike, you're in your race car, you would never, you would never allow that distraction to happen during a race. So why are you gonna let it happen when you're around more people than racing, with more circumstances, with people on street bikes, bike, I mean, there's so much going on. Like you really, it's, a, it's something that people need to be aware of. And you know, I. I don't know at this point like what uh, what the lesson plan is for young drivers. I mean, I, I'm going to know because my son's getting there, and uh, and I have been teaching him, you know, to drive when we go in the desert. He drives my truck. Like when we're off road, he's been driving a razor. Like there's, you know, in certain states, like you're no problem. 14, he's riding a jet ski in Arizona. Like there's a lot of responsibility given to kids at a very young age um, that. I mean, they need the guidelines and they need to know what problems can happen. And I think, um, you know, by, by sheltering them and not teaching them right now as a parent, like if, if, if your son's 14 or daughter's 14 or 15, you need to be 
teaching them to drive while you're driving. So they're sitting shotgun, they're learning about, you know, potential, like, okay, this is a, a stale yellow light. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna go or are you gonna hit your brakes? Like, we have that game too. What is it? Okay, well, it's always hit your brakes. You know, at your age, it's hit your brakes. You know, you know there's other cars that might wanna dart out. Like, it, simple things, crosswalks, just paying attention to your surroundings. Um, and again, I don't even, I mean, I don't let my son drive with other kids that, are, that just got their license. There's no way. I can't even, you know, think about the amount of distractions that's going on with four teenage boys in a car. Like, they're all looking at videos. Every one of them's got their own TikTok going, music going. The driver is very new at, at this. He's barely able to probably get his license. And then he's, he's got all these other distractions. Like, it's crazy. I think, uh, you know, as parents, it is our responsibility to, to lay down these rules and make sure, you know, there there's no distractions going on, you know, especially during these early early years of driving. Do you think it's getting through to your son or is he kind of brushing it off? No, it's, I think it's getting through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I think probably a good portion of the, the newer drivers think it's sort of like a, a cool thing to be able to like multitask while you're driving or, you know, like oh, I'm a good, you know, be, be able to say like I'm a good driver, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Sort of thing like how do we how do we skew the conversation away towards that into a more effective one where it's you know there's, there's actual serious consequences to being distracted but ninety nine percent of the time you won't be affected by them maybe if you're lucky but you know yeah like how do we get through to not just young people but also the people in the, on the roads who refuse to put their phones down. I mean, I, I'm again at that point. Like, is there is there some technology that the auto manufacturers can start designing to to make this curve happen a little bit quicker? To where there's, I mean, there's reminders to put your seatbelt on. Can there should there be some like distinct reminders before you start the car that that reminds you? Maybe is that what's going to have to happen? Probably because if you're born with a cell phone in your hand. You're gonna be, you're gonna be attached to it no matter what you're doing. The average American. There's a study that was done recently and it says the average American uh, will spend five years of their life on social media throughout the course of irrelevant, life. irrelevant social media. Like it's just flicking through funny videos or yeah, YouTube, Instagram, yeah. Twitter, TikTok. Five years of your life. And that only amounts to an hour and a half, roughly a day. No way. So yeah, so kids are getting six, eight hours like of videos and like, I guarantee my son's is, is up there. They check it every, like they check it during class, check their assignments, check it between classes. Um, he rides the bus, so he's on it there too. I'm sure his is crazy, so it's, a, it's important. I need to be aware of that too. And then like there needs to be time, quiet time where there's no phones, which again, I, I still think I feel like we're better than everyone that we hang out with and all of his friends. He still thinks he's deprived of the amount of screen time and what he has compared to his friends. Like, cause his video game stuff, he gets to play for one hour on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's it. That's your Xbox time. That's your video game time. Wow. And he thinks that's crazy. Yeah. Then well, yeah, it is. Some kids are spending like three hours every day probably. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and I ask them, do they know how to ride dirt bikes? Do they have play sports? Like, no, no, they're just locked in. Yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. It's, it's crazy. Well, you know, it, it, it's going to start with just more conversations in households across yeah. the country. So I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to talk about it. And hopefully this will generate more. Well, I mean, and I don't know that we've even talked about it yet, but um, I mean... I'm sure there's, I'm sure you have a story. I'm sure everyone has a story of something that happened because of not paying attention. And do you want to take someone's life by doing something stupid on your phone or in your car? Like that you didn't even, you never meant to happen. Like, no, no one wants to live with that. But you were distracted and you clipped a bicycle or a motorcycle or, you know, yourself. You rear-ended somebody and had it like, there's plenty of stories like that. And I don't want to have that story. I for sure don't want my son to, I could, you know, I'd have a tough time understanding that story, knowing that your child got into an accident or someone's, you know, life or friend's life was taken because of just a lapse in like good judgment for a minute. Like no one wants to live with that. So there's a bigger problem. And there's a big picture here that people, uh, you know, myself included that, you need to be aware it can happen. It, it might never, but there's enough stories and there's enough situations out there of people that are in tears right now over something like this. Right, and yeah, unfortunately, I think for most of the people, it's it's taken having a, a, a direct yeah. or pretty close connection to someone who's been either seriously injured or killed yeah. to fully understand it. So that's what that's the goal of like these conversations and where this project will go is hopefully to. Yeah. prevent you know get people to yeah. understand it before something serious happens yeah yeah i mean i i uh i grew up like wanting to ride a street bike so bad and as a kid like that's you know you want to be able to you know have your freedom and ride your motorcycle on the street like there's there's absolutely no way i would even at this point be on the street again riding and there's plenty of kids that want to ride too like there's so many distractions going on like I for sure would not feel safe riding a street bike around. Like that's why we take everything to the hills, to the desert. Um, so if, I mean, you can ask that question to a lot of people. A lot of people say they feel safe and they'll always blame the street bike, but it's not, it's usually not the street bike that crashed by himself. Very rarely. So right. would you want to be riding a street bike with you driving? I mean, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't take that question or that answer seriously. It's like, you know you're distracted. You know you've made some bad decisions. Have you almost hit something? Have you almost clipped the trash can? Or you won't, like, yeah. Could that have been somebody? Yeah. It's not a joke. No, definitely not. Um, well, thank you've been very generous with your time. Um, can Just to close out, can I get you to say <clears throat> that you'll promise to drive distraction-free? Yeah, I'll promise to drive distraction-free. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I know, you know, anyone with a bike in their garage, I feel like gets it. Yeah. And it's like a pretty short conversation. But I've talked to a bunch of these Maxis athletes who are, who openly admit that yeah. they're on their phones while they're driving. So it's like, yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta get it in your head that it's, you could be right. Any, any time that you decide to do that, you could, there could be someone in front of you that you don't see. Yeah. Well, and it'll spark the conversation of whoever's in my car, you know, why, 
when they call me and it sends them a message back, this person's not accepting calls, well, then there's a few more people that are now understanding that I'm taking it seriously. Right. Or when someone else is in my car telling them the same thing, like, hey, are you driving this way? So right. it starts here. Yeah. Thank you. You're a big help. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, man. Sweet. <laughs> Hello again. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation I had with Lou Lewis. It sounds kind of funny to say Lou Lewis, Lawrence Lewis. And as I mentioned in the beginning, super interesting perspective. Hope you found that to be true as well. And maybe you feel inspired by what Lou had to say to put the phone down while you're driving. And if not, I hope you still consider it. Turn on driving focus on your phone. It's a feature that's not turned on by default. It absolutely should be, and it absolutely should be turned on on your phone so that you don't get those pesky notifications while you're driving that tempt you to take your eyes off the road and put other people and yourself in harm's way. So go to eyesupride.com resources to learn how you can do that on your phone today. It's super easy, super quick. It'll be worthwhile and it'll help spread the message. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a positive review. It really helps me out. I love hearing feedback from listeners and those who help support and make this whole thing possible. Nonetheless, thank you for listening and for being here. You're helping save lives and make our world a bit safer, a bit happier, and a bit healthier. And that is the goal of Eyes Up. So in two weeks, we're closing out July with a conversation that I had with two brothers, Cody and Hunter Miller. They are a racing duo, and that's what I'm going to leave it at because cliffhangers get people coming back. So we'll see you in two weeks. Have a great couple of weeks. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.